Hi, I'm Vanessa Shaw, and this is the Horror Squad Podcast. podcast this is episode number 299 tonight we're talking about 2023's exorcist believer currently in theaters uh joe is a little bit late but we have myself todd and steve steve i know you have a lot to talk about i do have a lot to talk about it's you know it's that time of year for us we're just super busy here at the horse squad podcast and first thing i'm going to mention is we have not one but two interviews at the end of this episode. Thank you to everyone who listened to our interview last week with uh, Thora Birch, Vanessa Shaw, Omri Katz, and Jason Marsden. It was a great, great interview, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. This week, we have the writer and director of a new film that's coming out in theaters, and I believe on demand as well, on Friday, October 19th, and that is Scott Sloan, who is promoting the movie Malibu Horror Story. Um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit on what watched, and if Joe is there as well, he's going to talk about it because he was also on the interview. So you'll get to hear my thoughts on that movie. But like I said, great interview, uh, definitely a horror fan. So it was interesting to hear about his process. And our other interview is a duo. It is uh, Ms. Diamond Wigfall and Buster Pants, who are a drag queen and a drag king. They are promoting a new uh, show that they're doing based off The Shining. It's a shadow cast kind of like what they do with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah. And they're also going to host our event with, you know, the cast of that Halloween movie that uh, we can't talk about with uh, Thora Birch, you know, Omri, uh, Katz, Vanessa Shaw, and Jason Marston. Hocus Mocus. That's right. It it, it rhymes like that. Clockus, clockus. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. So those are the two interviews. And speaking of the events... So thank you to everyone who showed up to our last event, which was over the last weekend with Ari Lehman. I know we did, uh, well, Joe did at least the Q&A with that. So thank you to everyone who showed up. And the next event is going to be the event I just talked about. It's just a bunch of Halloween, which is on October 20th and 21st. On the 20th, you have a party at BitBar where you get to mingle with the cast all night. You get some great shows, you get arcade arcade tokens, a little bit of food, non-alcoholic drinks, although you can buy alcoholic drinks, but non-alcoholic drinks are provided. With the ticket also includes a uh, a shot with the four actors, a professional shot with the four actors. So that alone, I mean, is worth like 200 bucks. So definitely pick up tickets. It's all at it's just a bunch of halloween.com and you're able to do that. And on the Saturday on the 21st, we are at the Salem Commons, and uh, you're able to pick up autographs or selfies or a group shot with any or all of those actors we mentioned. All the tickets for that are also on the same website. It's just about Halloween.com. So definitely worth your while. It's the first time that they're all together in Salem, Massachusetts since 30 years ago when uh, they did the movie. So Pretty incredible uh, event there. Definitely check it out. I will be there as well. Joe obviously will be there. So that's uh should be fun to meet all of you guys. And then finally, we have another event on Saturday, October 28th. It's a signing, a full costume photo op, and a, a Q&A followed by a showing of Freddy vs. Jason. 
That's with Douglas Tate, who played Jason in Freddy vs. Jason for the final scene where uh, Jason's coming out of the water with the head of Freddy Krueger. He has that costume that he's going to do for the photo op with a mold from the original mold from the movie of Freddy's head. So you can do all that. The signing is going to be at Silver Moon Comics and the photo op as well. Then the movie is going to be at Cinema Salem. And we also have an interview with Douglas Tate on next week's episode. Absolutely great interview. He's got some great stories, how he almost became both Michael and Jason and just lost out on it the last second, but then still becoming like both of them in uh, different forms. So great guy, great interview. So check all of that out. Whew, that was a, a mouthful, a lot going on right. in October. Yeah. How was your uh, last week? I know you, you weren't there last week. You feeling better? Like, did you do anything fun? No, I, I came down with the stomach flu, so I was out for a little bit. That thing really kicks your butt, no pun intended, coming out both ends and everything. But uh, I guess I can give my thoughts on Saw X. Yeah, well, we can uh, do Watch as well. Just uh, I don't know if it's one of them, if you had other ones. but it Yeah, I have other ones. Okay, um, well. Yeah, you know, Saw X, I don't know, man. It, it, it was like, it was fine, but it wasn't anything groundbreaking. It wasn't terrible, you know? It was like right in the in the lower end of the franchise for me. I felt that a lot of stuff like seemed a little bit forced and I, I did like that they're trying to humanize John a little bit more, but I just wish that was sped up a little bit. Like it can't it it was too focused in the beginning and then it felt like the ending in my opinion was a little bit rushed. Like I thought we could have fleshed that a little bit better because it was missing a little bit of saw, you know, like meaning like trap investigation trap and it seemed like all the traps at the end were just like back to back to back which didn't really flow well in my opinion and then i just didn't like the whole um final like trap that they did on the the main characters because i expect a better twist and saw and i thought that one was just televised way too way too far out because like once you knew that character the younger character was coming into play you're like oh well there's no fucking way they're gonna do this they're gonna have to spin in on somebody and it was fortunate that that was kind of an easy one to catch but hoffman pretty cool amanda even though her wig was the worst wig i've ever seen uh was still pretty cool to see her and i like john kramer man he's 80 what 81 82 still pumping these out and i don't know how many more he has in him but if he's gonna be in the other ones fuck it let's do it yeah he he makes he makes saw really like without his character it's just not the same we saw it with spiral it's just uh it just doesn't feel the same you know it was great to see him yep and top form for someone who's like 82. It's it's pretty crazy oh, just yeah, how, shape. how good he looks and how he still really got it. A great actor. And so hopefully yeah. we'll see more of that. So I have three of them this week because Joe was supposed to take one. But since I have to talk about the movie later, I'll try to do it last in case he does show up for it. So the first one I did watch is a 2023 film. I watched this one on Amazon Prime and it's called Totally Killer. So this is the story of a killer and he kills women on their sweet 16 by stabbing them 16 times and kind of, you know, is a serial killer in this town. And then years later, the killer strikes again and kills the main character's mom, uh, still stabbing her 16 times. They're not really sure why the killer is back, but she has a friend who is a time machine, of course, very convenient. And she goes back in time to 1987 or 88, I forget which which of the two, to stop the uh, the killer. And that's basically the story. It's kind of like a mix of Back to the Future with like Scream and a little bit like Happy Death Day thrown into it. It's uh, it's a 
decent film. If you've seen movies like this, like Happy Death Day, Freaky, kind of like horror comedy that doesn't push too far in the horror, but also not too too far in the comedy. It's kind of like right in the middle. It was an enjoyable film. I like the references of... She makes a lot of like observational references about how the 80s are different than 2023. Like things that used to fly in the 80s definitely don't fly in 2023. And I really enjoyed those jokes. Outside of those jokes, they weren't as funny. You know, some of them were just like kind of forced. I didn't love that. It's like not the goriest film. You know, it's it's really kind of, you know, Halloween party type film. You know, it's not something that people should take too seriously. But I still had a fun time watching it overall. I gave three and a half stars out of five. So that's totally killer over on Amazon Prime. Cool. All right. My first one is Flesh Eater from 1988. And this one is written, directed, and starring Mr. William Hinsman, or Heinzman, who you'll recognize as the first zombie in Night of the Living Dead. And he went on to direct this film and start it and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll get the creepy shit out of the way first. And this guy is no spring chicken in this movie. He's an elderly gentleman, and he plays a lead zombie. And it's the nudity in this film, which I always, you know, everyone wants to see nudity in horror movies. It's kind of weird because the only ones that get nude are female victims that this gentleman attacks. So keep in mind, he wrote, directed, starred in it. And not only like, you know, a shirt coming off or something like that, but like grabbing the the nude breast and, you know, biting near him and stuff like that. And I was just like, damn, have we always been creepy as dudes or am I just seeing it better? But that stuff aside, it, it's really fun, man. The zombie, I love low budget zombie horror movies, always have, always will. And this one has a setup where some younger, I guess, college age kids or whatever, take a hayride out to this farm where they're going to spend like Halloween partying, drinking, stuff like that on this uh, farmer's land. Meanwhile, a farmer, he's like digging, he's pulling out like a, a stump or something for no fucking reason in the middle of the woods. He doesn't pull out this random stump. It's not bothering anybody, but he does. And then he finds a buried zombie who's our, our title zombie there. And he attacks at the kids and everything. And then you would think it would end there. But what I like about it is that it's not just regulated to the farm area. It actually grows and it grows to the town and it starts affecting other people and i really liked it because it was uh they were taking a shot with a lower budget and i appreciated it i mean you're gonna go in there with some bad acting with these horror movies the uh under under budgeted ones always have that but it adds to the charm but what i really appreciated about this was what they're able to pull off um, we had solid headshots and i was thinking when i saw these I'm like man i wish night 90 Night of Living Dead 1990 had some of the headshots that were cut out because these were freaking pretty damn cool. Some solid bites, some solid zombie action. Zombies look pretty cool. And I appreciated it for what it was. So that's Tubi. uh, Sorry, Flesh Eater over on Tubi. And I gave it a three out of five. You know, I never thought that the people from Night of the Living Dead had done much after Night of the Living Dead. I always thought that most of the actors were just people in Pittsburgh that George knew. (laughs) You know, so it's cool that uh, some of them ended up doing some horror after. So, yeah. Yeah, he did this and something else called the majorettes which i have yet to see but it's also on tubi hmm, cool definitely check it out uh my next one is another 2023 film i watched this one on vod and it's called little bone lodge so this is a film from the uk basically the story of two thieves and they stole a lot of money and they crashed uh, like during their getaway and one it's like two brothers and one of them is in worse shape than the other. And the brother kind of brings his other brother to this house to get some help. Uh, the house has a mother, a young daughter, and the father. But the father's kind of like an invalid. He uh, He's like in a wheelchair. He doesn't like speak. He just kind of like 
there you know he's not like fully there but he's drugged up so he's not in a bed or anything but he is in a wheelchair and doesn't do much so it's it starts off pretty innocently enough it's the family taking care of these two criminals and you kind of know that something's going to go down i mean obviously you're watching a horror film and sure enough the criminals realize that they forgot the money at the car and they try to force the family to kind of go get that money while keeping the the little girl and the brother at the house and then a bunch of stuff happens and i don't want to spoil too much but it starts a series of events that has so many twisted turns that you don't know what the hell's going to happen next because it's just constantly twisting and turning the story the family is not what uh, they expected the father's deal has a whole thing the mother has a whole thing it's it's really a crazy movie i don't think it's like an amazing movie or anything it wouldn't i don't think it's going to make my top 10 but it's one that's really interesting that i don't hear anyone talk about it's an interesting story if you're along for the ride and just the stuff that happens is so random and so like like it just constantly changes course that i would recommend it if you can find it so i gave it three and a half stars out of five on letterbox that's little bone lodge right now i think it's only on vod but if ever it comes on streaming i would recommend checking it out it's funny because little bone lodge is also the code name me and my wife have for the bedroom <laughs> um, <laughs> my next one is 1976 massacre at central high and i I want people to watch this movie. It's over on Tubi, and I don't want to spoil it too much because I think it's a really interesting, smartly written film, and it has zero right to be, and I don't think it was intended to be such. But uh, it's about a high school, and a high school student, new high school student comes to the new school, and he knows a guy there, and it's unknown why he transfers schools, but he does. And he goes to his friend that he made previously, and the friend's like, hey, man, like, you know, me and my friends, we're the kings of the school. We fucking run it. Just, you know, fall in line and hang out with us, and you'd be cool. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for this group, the, the new kid doesn't like being a bully because he figures out that, like, these guys are the kings of the school because they bully everyone relentlessly i'm not talking about like you know giving wedgies and slapping the books down things like that which they do but attempted rape assault vehicular assault things like that almost killing people it's like obviously stuff that goes way too far and i hate bullies naturally and this just like takes it to another level so he's not cool with it he's like dude why the fuck do all of us why why do you guys take this stuff he's like well what are we gonna do sam to the bullies and that's exactly what this guy does. His friend, though, meanwhile, is like, hey, man, like, come on, stop rocking the boat. We haven't made here. He's like, dude, you used to be cool, but you're just a fuckhead. Like, I'm not in your group anymore either. So his friend group tells the guy, like, hey, if the new kid doesn't get along, we're going to fuck him up, too. And he doesn't care. So he starts uh, standing up for, for the for the bullied. He starts helping them out, uh, making friends, making alliances, things like that, standing up to them until the bullies catch wind of it, and they end up kind of uh, breaking his leg and giving him a, a severe limp in the process. So now he's like, fuck it, gloves off. And he decides to take the traditional slasher route and start killing them in ways that makes it look like it's a um, an accident. Where it gets into like the smarter writing is, I don't know, it, it the message is a little bit, a little bit convoluted here. And the way I mean that is that bullies are wrong, right? And these guys are fucking heinous. But as soon as they take their their foot off the throats of these bullied people those people rise up to be bullies themselves and the message in the movie is like we were heavy-handed because everyone needs to have control over them or they turn into monsters themselves i don't know if it was intended by the filmmakers honestly because there's a lot of low-budget stuff in here the acting is fucking questionable at times but that's the message i got from it and it if it's 
how it was written cool if it was a happy accident that was awesome too kills are awesome the plot is cool the ending a little dramatic but i still liked it and that's the massacre central high i gave it a four out of five over on tubi very cool all right, so my last one uh, this week is uh, a 2023 film that comes out on October 19th. It's the one that we have the interview with the writer and director Scott Slonin at the end of this episode, and it's called Malibu Horror Story. So this is a found footage film. It starts off kind of like a true crime documentary where these three college students, they go into the desert and they find this cave and they're kind of filming this whole process. And uh, they're both, all three of them disappear in this cave, never to be found again. They kind of explain how that happened, how they found the footage. Uh, they show a little bit of the footage and stuff like that. Uh, story takes place years later, and this group of college students want to make a documentary about that event. So they bring a crew to that same cave and try to figure out the mystery of what exactly happened at that site. So they show they end up like showing kind of the full footage of what happened to those three teenagers in that cave as much footage as they have and then the stuff starts happening to the documentary crew kind of the same way it happened to those three uh, college students i don't want to say too much more than that but it's basically a found footage film of people investigating murders that happen in this cave so i think that this is an interesting film. It It's really got that true crime feel. Usually sometimes in some of these movies, they don't capture the true crime feel. It feels like it's fake. But this one felt like I was actually watching a documentary. And at times, I felt like it was a documentary. That's how good that was. And once we finally get to kind of the horror part of this, because it does take quite a bit of time to get to the horror part. They do a lot of like telegraphing and explaining what the story is before they get to that. It's actually pretty good. The scares are solid. The creature design, I won't say what the creatures are, but the creature design is actually really good. Better than I would expect for kind of an indie film like this. And I, I enjoyed a lot of it. I will say that the second half of the film isn't as fun as the first half. It does get a little like tiresome because with like with found footage films, you get a lot of people just going into the cave, just talking. They put like this infrared camera on a lot that you're like, okay, they've used this trick so many times now that and nothing's happening with it. You know, it's not like they used it once or twice and something happened. So that was kind of annoying. But I still think if you like found footage films, it's definitely a worthy watch. So I personally gave it a three out of five stars. I haven't ranked it on Letterboxd yet because I can't, but once uh, I can, I will give it that. And Joe has joined us, and I know he watched this as well because he was on the interview. Uh, I gave the synopsis and everything. So what did you think of Malibu Horror Story? Yes, and hello, everyone. Steve, Todd, always a pleasure to see you. And our beautiful listeners, of course, out there. Malibu Horror Story, yeah. Overall, I thought it was pretty pretty decent. There's definitely some issues here. It's definitely low budget and whatnot, but... I thought it was like, you know, a decent like one-time watch. I don't think it's anything like that I would probably revisit, but I think if you're into found footage, it's pretty solid. You know, it starts off I really love like mockumentary style type movies, so I thought that was like pretty cool. It reminded me of um I said this to Steve, it reminded me of The Outwaters, but in a good way, a, better, a much better way, because I, I hated The Outwaters, but I thought this was like a much better version of that style movie. So yeah, you know, I, I, 
I really liked where they ended up going with it at the end. I thought it was like a really interesting sort of approach that they did that I haven't seen too often. So yeah, I dug it. And the fact like you'll hear it in the interview, but the fact that it took them 10 years to make, I thought was really, really interesting. And just the process of, you know, how indie filmmakers kind of, you know, have the struggle really of making a movie and stuff like that. So which you'll hear in the interview. So that's a good tease for the interview. But overall, yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. I, I, uh, I'll also give it a three out of five. I thought it was uh, pretty enjoyable. 10 years is a big gap. Was that 10 years of filming? Like they had to try to maintain continuity over 10 years? Uh, basically, yeah. So like the early parts of the movie was sort of the young kids. And then, you know, once you watch a movie, you'll understand it. But, it, you know, the kids that go missing was he filmed about 10 years ago. And then everything else with the crew kind of going back, he filmed recently. Interesting. Do you have any other uh, what watch for this week? I do. I have one, actually, because the embargo is off as of this recording. So I watched The Bell Keeper, which you can, I'm assuming, get on VOD as of today. This one stars Randy Couture, of all people, actually. Also, it stars, um, oh man, I can't remember his name, but we actually interviewed him, Steve, for Slapface, the older brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember yeah. the movie. I don't remember the, the names right. of the actors. <laughs> so we actually interviewed the guy, but it stars Randy Couture and him. And basically what the movie is about, it is um, basically it's like an urban legend that if you go to this summer camp that's abandoned and you ring the bell, the bellkeeper will come and sort of kill you. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of shot. Once again, sort of mockumentary style, like found footage style, but it all, but it goes away from that as well. It's shot both ways, but yeah. So what happens is the bellkeeper, like basically they go try to figure out this legend. They ring the bell and then they start uh, slowly turning into demons actually. And we get into that and then the bellkeeper shows up and I'll leave it at that since it's a new release, but uh, this was not good at all <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to say you know i think we kind of knew it or any couture starring in a horror movie probably you know not something uh i already knew basically i didn't know randy couture was in it but once i put it on i saw starring randy couture i was like all right this probably isn't gonna be great and uh, i was very right unfortunately yeah i would say definitely uh skip this one it's just dull honestly there's just nothing really new there the kills are pretty uninspiring and you know randy couture does uh, not a great job as the bellkeeper unfortunately he's just like honestly like a pretty lame and boring character and just a very sort of wooden performance by him and just overall definitely skip this one i give it a one and a half out of five i'm gonna go tell him he's gonna beat you up you should go to letterbox joe there's zero reviews for the bellkeeper right now you'll be number one well, that's because it's on embargo. So there's like a strict <laughs> embargo that you can't put it up until Friday. So I'm sure well, their views Friday, will start pouring in on Friday. <laughs> midnight, you got to get on there. All right, I'll do and, it. And speaking of embargoes, a little tease for next week. There's a movie I cannot wait to talk about, but I can't until next week's episode. It's going to be either Beloved or Absolutely Fucking Hated. And I have no idea which of the two it's going to be. So can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, that'll be on my watch next week. The fun of October, you know, so many things going on, so many movies coming out. So, yeah, it's a fun time. All right. So that's all we had for What Watch. And now let's spill a little tea. Oh, you want the tea? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We don't serve tea. Nope. Instead, you get a cup of Joe. And now here's Joe with the news. 
All righty. Thank you so much, Chuck. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Cup of Joe for the week. Let's start off with some pretty interesting news that's developed within the last couple of weeks, and that is the future of the Halloween series. Of course, no more David Gordon Green, although we'll be talking, I'm sure, a lot about him tonight. But uh, <laughs> the future of the Halloween series, currently Malik Akkad is shopping the rights for film and TV. So a lot is going to be going. We're going to be getting a lot of Halloween coming up. The most interesting thing that has come uh, out about this is, is the television rights. As there is currently a bidding war between A24 and Merrimax on who is going to get the rights to obtain for the Halloween TV series. No word as far as who is going to get the movie rights for that, but I'm sure A24 and Merrimax will also be deep in on that as well. So, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about this? Do you, Who would you, I guess, rather see, if it's between those two studios for sure, who would you rather see take the reins of the Halloween series? And, you know, do we want more Halloween so quickly after Halloween ends. What do you think? To your first question, I personally don't want any Halloween right this second because we just had the trilogy. Let's let it breathe a little bit. That being said, a couple years down the line, let's do it. But um, I think if Miramax gets it, it's going to be more traditional slasher. If A24 gets it, it's going to be A24. So honestly, I would love to see what a fresh studio and a little quirky studio like A24 could do with it, man. We've, we've seen... 13 what 13 14 or whatever of these movies already pretty much the same plot let's let's change it up a bit but not as bad as fucking cory let's not do cory again thank god yeah I, I feel the same way let's give it like just a few years you know to, to breathe a little bit i mean i wouldn't complain i'd still go see it even if it came out like tomorrow but as far as which studio i agree exactly with what todd said uh miramax would probably be a safe more traditional halloween a24 is an interesting studio to take on a property like this like i can't i can't even think have they done any major franchise like that they haven't started themselves i can't think of a single if, one so if i'm not wrong aren't they doing the peacock series on uh for friday the 13th but that we haven't that... that we've seen i mean like right that we've seen no no yeah no, so no. i'm really curious what they would do with a major franchise so yeah i'm i'd totally be down and oh my god just to see the comments and horror groups would be worth it <laughs> alone uh, right. what about you joe i know you're you know the big a24 guy here what do you think yeah i mean you know my answer already i'm you know a24 for life i should probably get it tattooed at this point on my body but um i mean i already got prob the movie but i think i need the a24 logo on me at this point because i'm such a a24 lover but i i think do it like let a24 take this series over people are i think at this point like todd said you're wanting something different right so why not let a24 who's known for doing things maybe people don't love and things people do love they're willing to take risks and they're willing to do something different so i think putting it in their hands would be good for the franchise it, it would at least be something different i know a lot of people would probably hate it and shit on it but at this point change it up Right, we we we've seen Michael at in Haddonfield pretty much every single movie doing the same thing over and over again. It might be cool to do something a little different, you know. I mean, say what you will about Rob Zombie, but he did do something a bit different with that first Halloween movie, especially exploring Michael's backstory and stuff like that that some people loved, some people didn't love. So I say go for it. Let's see what happens. You know, you know what I don't want though is I don't want a long drawn out 
TV show on Michael Myers before he kills his sister. Like, I do not want to see him in a third grade, second grade, something like that. I do not want to see him in elementary school. We don't need it. I don't need him, like, killing a dog or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I just hope they don't touch that. We know where Michael comes from. If they're going to keep it in the Myers universe, we, we are. In, it's like Spider-Man. We know, we know fucking where Spider-Man came from. We don't need to see his, like, origin story every damn movie. So I think if they do that, I'd be severely disappointed. I think you kind of have to, though, right? Especially for, like, a TV series. Because TV series, you know, are all about the long game and kind of, you know, slowly progressing the story. I mean, sort of like Walking Dead did, which a lot of people didn't love at times. But, I mean, I think that's exactly the route they would go. I think they would probably start with, like, early Michael Myers and slowly maybe throughout the first well, season. I'll be disappointed then, Progress Jeff. it. I know. <laughs> but I think that's I think that's the way they're probably going to go. But um, we shall see. And we'll give you guys – no, go for it. No, no, no. I'd rather have an aftermath, man. I think you do, like, a quick one to three episodes of, like, 1978 Halloween – and then you do the aftermath because I, I that's what I wanted to see in 2018's Halloween. I wanted to see, I know we kind of got that in Halloween kills and ends, I think, with like new sheriff characters coming in and like, I want to execute Michael. No, don't. And that bullshit. But like, I got to want to see like what happens after he gets arrested if they go the route that he doesn't disappear like he does in part two, which I don't know. The fucking timeline's so convoluted. Like, there's trilogies here and here, and there's like, I don't know. But yeah, I, I I would hate to see young Michael Myers again, and I would love to see something after he gets arrested or disappears. Well, we shall see, and we'll definitely update you guys on any and all information regarding the Halloween franchise. All right, next bit of news. Calling all Terrifier fans. Terrifier 2 is going to be getting a theater release coming up on the day after Halloween, actually, November 1st. And director Damien Leone has announced a very special treat for you Terrifier fans as there is going to be a special two-minute sneak peek of Terrifier 3 for those of you who head to the theaters to see it. You will also receive an exclusive poster of Terrifier 2 as well. So you can check it out, grab your tickets um, at any select theaters. I know around me, AMC is doing it. I don't know about anyone else, but I know, I think Sam and I are definitely planning to go and checking that out. Are you guys interested in that? Or are you just going to wait and watch? I'm sure the leak will end up online anyway of the Terrifier 3 footage. Um, I'm not interested in the part three footage, but I am interested in seeing the theater. That'd be kind of fun. No, I'd watch it. It's just not coming out here. So I'm, I have okay. no chance of watching it. Yeah. But I, I definitely would. And man, wouldn't it be funny if the Terrifier 3 footage is just like the the bumper from <laughs> Terrifier 2? You know, it's just like a big tease. Because I don't yeah. know when he would have filmed this, right? Like the actor strike's been going on for a long time. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know where he got it's this. Oh, something from. stupid. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't probably, guys... It's probably just Joe and Salem walking around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <All right>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Well, I'll, well, I'll definitely for sure update you guys once i see it and let you know kind of what was out there and i'm excited i should mention too the first hundred fans at each theater will receive an exclusive it's actually a terrifier three poster so that's pretty cool so you'll be able to grab that uh, first hundred fans in the theater november 1st go check it out for you terrifier fans and maybe i'll dress as art the clown at my local theater if anyone wants to come come down and make it a little extra fun uh all right next bit of news here is calling all jasons is your name Jason? Well, if it is, Tombstone Pizza is doing a very special giveaway for Friday the 13th. If your name is legally Jason or 
Pamela, or Crystal, you can enter for a chance to win free pizza. Uh, They are currently running the contest from October 1st through October 31st. You can head to tombstone.com slash pizza for Jason. Who loves? Who doesn't love free pizza? So do that, all you Jasons, Pamela's, or Crystal's out there. <laughs> all right. Uh, next bit of news here is the Mothman. Have you guys seen the Mothman prophecies? Yep. Richard Gere. All right. Yep. Yes, Richard yep. Gere. Yeah. One I think maybe would be a fun one to review at some point on this show. But the Mothman, of course, kind of came and went. I think was kind of be. Would you call it a cult classic? I feel like there's a pretty decent fan base for it. But anyway, the director at a recent con did tease that they are currently um, developing a Mothman television series. So I think that could be pretty cool, pretty interesting. We'll definitely keep you guys updated on that. But I think that would be pretty fun. I do love the whole Mothman mythology. And honestly, something that isn't explored enough of. So Mothman the television series possibly coming very soon. Alrighty, just a couple more stories to get through tonight, and that is Toy Fair recently was revealed, and there is some really awesome stuff coming out. I will quickly go over some of the things here. Most exciting, I think, for Steve and Todd is the Day of the Dead toy line that is going to be coming out from Trick or Treat Studios. There is going to be based off several characters. Obviously, we are going to be getting Bub, but also some of the human characters as well is going to be involved in this. It looks really awesome. I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures or yet, but uh, being the big Romero fans you are, something you guys would pick up. Yeah, I mean, I already have the Bub from, what is that, NECA or McFarlane, something like that. But I would love to get the uh, Joe Pilato one. That looks pretty cool. You know, if I were in charge of this line, I would do the... Uh the alligator with the taped mouth. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was like, like a, a nice little, little yeah, it's like accessory. a little Easter egg. <laughs> That'd be dope. Like if you get the Dr. Tongue figure, you get the alligator. But yeah. <laughs> uh, make like sure it's, it's got to have the, yeah, the, the wrapping yeah. around his mouth too, just to please fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's one for Steve as NECA has announced an officially licensed Vincent Price action figure for the collection there it's going to come obviously it's going to be the ultimate edition so it'll come with multiple heads multiple hands all vincent price pretty cool there also you terrifier fans terrifier two figures are also on the way from trick-or-treat studios you're going to get a little pale girl a sienna figure and an art the clown among other characters so that is pretty cool as well also i think one of the coolest releases trick from trick-or-treat studios come this year is the iconic Texas Chainsaw Massacre dinner scene. You're going to get all of the family sitting at the table along with Sa- a Sally Hardest- Hardesty figure. So that's pretty- for me. I-, I agree. That 100%. thing is pretty badass. I think one of the coolest re- uh, things released at Toy Fair for sure. Also, for you Goosebumps fan, they're releasing a Goosebumps line, Haunted Mask, Slappy the Dummy. That is also going to be coming from Trick or Treat Studios. There's also a Reagan statue coming um, that looks amazing from, I think, Iconic. Also, there is some Jeeper Creepers figures coming. There's a lot of great stuff coming this year, so definitely we'll keep you guys up to date on that. Check our Instagram stories. I'll probably be posting some of those on there. Also, a Chucky board game is coming as well where you can battle Chucky. That is also going to be released by Trick or Treat Studios as well. And yeah, we'll leave it at there for tonight. So that is going to be it for Horror News this week. Thank you. 
All right, trivia. So we are officially in quarter number four. So we're starting at zeros. However, the up-to-date year list is in. Now it took me about three months to calculate this. I had the AI running it back and forth, but here it is. Joe in the lead, 63 total points, but I'm right on his little butthole with 62. Steve at 59. So it is any man's game. Quarter number four is going to be deep. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frantic. It's going to be fierce. Someone will walk away with the title. Will it be me? Four-time champ coming up? Or will it be a new person? I don't know what to call you. I was going to think of something. But <laughs> well, two, two things goes. before we start uh, trivia this week. Number one, it's cool that we each won a, a quarter. So that's I think, yep. the first time that ever happened. Number two, because you weren't there last week, you haven't given us our punishment film that we need to do because you won the yes, last quarter. That is true. <laughs> That is very true. Thank you for reminding me, which you guys have as of, I think, yesterday or two, two days mm -hmm. ago, I gave it to you. But the film you guys will be watching is a little film called, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you guys like dinosaurs? Jurassic Park, Jurassic World? Who, who doesn't? Okay. How do you feel about prison movies? Cell Block 99, women's, don't love uh, them. women's prison? <laughs> don't, love most, don't love most of them, but. How about 2023's Dinosaur? prison oh. currently streaming on tubi with three total reviews on letterbox enjoy dinosaur prison directed by mr tyler james excellent name excellent yeah. name. i'm ready yeah yeah if thank you for have choosing a dinosaur in prison i'm be upset <laughs> uh, yeah so you actually uh, gave me two choices and you decided to go with this one i actually watched the other one today <laughs> why oh, that's no. not how it works <laughs> he's a glutton for punishment and it was it was it was awful <laughs> so which one was it again the title um, you the, uh i'd have to check my letterbox something then. stupid yeah definitely uh the legend of the lizard man 2023 oh yeah that's right. 112 minutes it's based on a true story so yeah there you go but yeah you know trivia was pretty crazy joe was commanding he had back-to-back -back quarters with 24 points apiece and kind of shit the bed quarter three with 15. Your best, Steve, with was quarter number two with 30. My best with quarter number two with 24. And then, yeah, Joe's worst, 15. Your worst, 15, uh, 14. My worst, 17. So, yeah, man, it's been back and back, back and forth the mm -hmm. whole time. So, it's been pretty uh, I'm ready. competitive this time. <laughs> yep. Love it. All right. Who wants to go? I'll start us off. Three letterbox reviews. Name the movie. Okay. All right. Somebody once insisted I would grow out of liking this movie. Wrong. All right. Okay. <laughs> Number two. Some weird horny nonsense that's full of weird horny characters and delightfully cheesy acting. It's pretty fun and endearing. And number the, three. The, all the eighties. Like... Every slasher. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the dead giveaway, so be ready. I, I hope so. <laughs> wow, bodacious booby sis is a real oh, life movie. Oh, yeah. Demons. Why would the right. fuck would he say that to his little sister? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that'd be interesting for a family movie. Like, like ooh, <laughs> this movie's done. All right, let me follow up mine real quick. And she's yeah. also like eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, in Exorcist Believer, the film we're going to talk about later. Oh, Christ. What's the name of Chris McNeil's book? Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Just watched it yesterday, too. It's embarrassing. Oh, um, Exercising my demons. <laughs> no, that would have been better, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't remember. Pass. I definitely don't remember. Yeah, yeah pass. Right. A mother's explanation. 
Okay. Boring. Boring. Lame. Boring. <laughs> Probably didn't sell very well with that title. Yeah. All right. Bringing it back finally. It's been a little while. Guess the movie based off the IMDb parental guide. Right. Starting with sex and yeah. nudity. Uh, love it. A brass door knocker of a tiny man with big testicles is seen on the door and being used by a young girl. Jeez. That would be Scary Movie 2. Correct. Nice job. <laughs> Two is. I knew it was one of the scary. It was just honestly a complete guess on which sequel it was, but I knew it was one of them. Well, I do have an exorcism theme, and that is the one with the exorcist scene in it. So. Mm. Oh. oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great scene, actually. <laughs> Gotta watch that eventually. Yeah. Alrighty. Guess the movie based on letterboxed info. I'll give you a bunch of info of the movie, actors and stuff, and you try to guess the movie. All right, All this right. movie released in 1990. Clocks in at 110 minutes long. Tagline. Do you dare walk these steps again? Exorcist 3. That is correct. Very nice. <laughs> Good movie, too. Great movie. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I will give you the actors. You give me the film. Okay. Dennis Hopper. Simon Baker. Land of the Dead? Correct. Wow. <laughs> I did Dennis Hopper, but I didn't want to say it right I was away. waiting <laughs> on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, honestly. Yes, I was yeah. gonna, yeah, that was going to be my first, my first guess. <laughs> All right. A regular question. And I'll first tell you the answer is not Max von Sydow. Okay. Okay. Which famous Star Wars actor appears in The Exorcist, The Heretic? Mark Hamill. Wrong. Christopher Lee. Wrong. You guys want one more guess? Have you seen The Exorcist, The Heretic? I haven't. Okay. Grand Moff Tarkin. I've seen. I started a long ass time ago, but I don't, I don't remember anything about it. I just remember it being not good. That's the second one, right? The second one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hmm. Famous Carrie Fisher. Wrong. So if you watch Dexter's Two, it takes place <laughs> in Africa, and is James Earl Jones who plays the uh, voodoo priest. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Terrible movie though. <laughs> All right. Back to me? Yep. yep. All right. What is the name of the demon that possesses Reagan? Pazuzu. Oh, it was close. Was it close? I got it first. Close. I got it first. It close. It was <laughs> very, very, it's very close. I feel like shit. I heard, I feel like I heard Steve first, but he definitely got Because he goes, because he goes, ah, da, da. <laughs> and I am dignified. In that voice, say, exactly. <laughs> and I am dignified. And I say, Pazuzu. Yeah. He puts his little finger up and he says, Pazuzu. <laughs> Go to the tape, I guess. Fucking I tape editor. All right. I'm putting my one in there for each of us. For each of us? Yep. Okay. I'm going to give you the character name, the lead character in this film. You give me the movie. Mm-hmm. Reverend Cotton Marcus. I only know one cotton, and it's not from that one. It's, it's not, not, yeah, it's cotton, not cotton weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend, she ain't no searing stone. Reverend Cotton Marcus. That's all we get, huh? That's all you get. That's the lead character of the film. Uh, Silver go... Bullet. Correct. Let's go with 
Cotton? I have a second guess. Cotton Marcus? That's what you said? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... Um, I have no idea. Just I'll stress. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to give you another character this actor has played okay. in a very famous show. No. He plays a character named Howard. The and duck. he's a lawyer. <laughs> the duck. <laughs> He's a, He's lawyer. a lawyer Howard? in Better Call Saul. Howard. Oh. Oh. The character's name is Cotton Marcus, the Reverend. He plays a lawyer, Howard? I've seen Better Call Saul. I can't think of the actor, though. Um, Going once. I don't know. Going twice. Yeah. You can find this character in a mockumentary or documentary, whatever you want to call it, in The Last Exorcism. Oh. Uh, I did not remember that at all. Good movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't Who's the actor? It. I Everyone's talking. It's, it's that like fucking asshole um, from Better Call Saul. He's not an asshole. He's he's no. a he's good. Um, where's the actor in this fucking thing? I can't place his face right now, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone uh, was uh, singing the praises of the Last Exorcism on our Discord today. I didn't know liking it all that much. <laughs> I remember it being pretty good. I thought the idea was good, but the execution wasn't like the best. But I only saw in theater, so it's been a long time. So maybe I'm due for a revisit. The one thing I do remember is it gets a little fucking wild at the end. Yeah, yeah. When they go in the field and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Mm -hmm. the ending. It like justifies everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll rewatch it one day. I remember digging it for sure, like based on Mm -hmm. memory. All right, final question of the night. Linda Blair is most famous for playing Reagan in the Exorcist franchise, but she also starred in another exorcism film. What is it? Did she? She did. Um, I'll the even Exorcist give you... two. I'm outside of the Exorcist. Franchise. <laughs> Damn it! God, I feel like I I feel like it's a movie I watched. Actually, I'll, I'll even give you the, the the year if you want. Is uh, it okay? Sure. Do you want to give a guess first? I'll give Hell Knight. No. Okay. No, no Exorcism Knight. It's like a slasher. Okay. It's been a while. Uh, 1990 is the year it was released. Oh. 1990, another exorcism movie. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Is it something we've all watched? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, was she in Exorcist 3? It's not an Exorcist that 3. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't, though. No. Uh, uh, no okay, idea. So the answer is repossessed. Starring Leslie ah, Nielsen. the comedy, yes. Yeah. Oh. That's right. All right well, I, don't, I don't know if I... I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's Leslie Nielsen exactly yeah. like what you would expect. <laughs> I do like Leslie Nielsen, so... Yeah. Big, yeah. big fan of the Naked Gun movies. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Um, possible three for Steve, possible two for me, one for Joe. First game is in the bucket. Now, Exorcist. Ooh. Believer. Yes. Directed by David Gordon Green. Came out right now. It's currently in theaters. 2023 release, obviously. And we start off in a foreign country and a photographer and his wife, who is pregnant, are being tourists. A giant earthquake hits and she, uh, the the husband has to choose uh, between having medical procedure to save his wife or save the child. Flash forward about 14 years later and he saved the child and she's a teenager. They have a great relationship. She goes to school one day and she meets up with her friends and they decide to go off into the woods because they want to try to speak to the dead and the girl in question wants to speak to her deceased mother but it goes wrong and for three days they are missing in the woods until they turn up randomly and they have no recollection of what happened they think it's only been a few hours but in reality the town and police and everybody has been looking for them for three days 
And then we just start to get some supernatural things happen. And long story short, there's an Exorcist movie. And that's why it's called Exorcist Believer. I honestly had very little interest to see this movie because I don't think David Gordon Green is a great horror filmmaker. He's got some cool comedies and stuff like that, but I don't really think he works well in the horror realm. This movie overall is going to be a gigantic miss for me. There are some cool things in it. Like I did like some of the imagery we get. I think the acting was pretty good for the most part, at least from the, the uh, principal cast there, like the main guy, the kids, things like that. And I think a little bit of the cinematography was pretty cool as well as sound design, things like that. But overall, I'm going to have a lot to discuss negatively about this film. So what are you guys' initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was like concerned once I heard David Gordon Green was going to be involved after what he did with Halloween Ends and Halloween Kills, which wasn't the best. Although Halloween 2018 was pretty solid. So I was like, okay, if any of these Exodus movies are going to be good, it'll probably be the first one. And then the trailers start coming out. And I was actually, the more I saw the trailers and stuff, I was actually starting to turn and be like, okay, this actually might be really good. So I went in with like a fairly open mind here. And I'm I'm pretty much with Todd. I think this is pretty much a big miss for me. But there are elements I did enjoy overall, but some of the choices, man, were just unforgivable in this movie to me. If you listen to our Exorcist TV series uh, reviews, I one of my biggest complaints is what they did to Chris McNeil in that television series and it was just i felt it was just a slap in the face to the franchise they do the same exact thing in this movie but almost fucking worse and just what they did to chris mcneil in this movie and we'll get into it and ellen bernston honestly is just a slap in the face to the fucking franchise they did not do anything like that in halloween that was this egregious this to me was egregious and unforgivable to the legacy of the exorcist movies i really fucking hated that part as far as positives go for me, I did think most of the cast was solid. I really liked Leslie Odom Jr. And Dowd is fantastic in everything. That woman is an underrated actress. I absolutely love her in everything she's in. I thought the two girls were also great in this with what they were given. So I will say positives for that. And the first, honestly, I really did enjoy the first part of this movie. The problem is once we get into the Exorcist shit, it just falls apart for me. And it's just it just becomes terrible. It really honestly starts with... When they introduce Ellen Bernstein's character, Chris McNeil, it all fucking goes downhill from there, and it just it just never recovers for me. So it looks like we're going to be in agreement uh, tonight on this film. Not too surprising. I also went in with an open mind. Now, I had the uh, kind of unique opportunity to uh, go through the Halloween Horror Nights house of this movie, and it was actually one of my favorite houses, and it was actually incredible. So I was more psyched about this movie than... Maybe I would have been otherwise because the house was so cool. Basically, the house was um, the exorcism scene and they showed it in like various stages. Like at first, the girls are kind of normal and then the girls are more possessed and then they're puking up on the ceiling. It was actually a really cool house. But the movie itself, a lot like Joe said, the first half-ish of the movie, I enjoyed. You know, I really liked the relationship between Victor, which is Leslie Odom Jr.'s character and his daughter, Angela. I thought... The father-daughter story was really good. Uh, she was she was creepy, man. She was just like creeping on him at some certain points. Like there's a scene where she's like she leaves the room, and then all of a sudden she's back in the room, just like being 
super odd. I, I liked the story that they kind of disappeared, didn't know for how long. They thought it was only a few hours. It actually been three days. Like there was a lot going for it early on. And I thought, okay, this is an interesting take on how the girls get possessed and stuff. But holy shit, that second half just takes a fucking nosedive. And like Todd said, there's a lot I want to get into as to why that is. But like Joe said, the most egregious thing is what happened, what they do with Chris McNeil's character. Uh, now, I wasn't that sad about what they did with the TV show version of The Exorcist, which I thought, by the way, is way fucking better than this sequel to The Exorcist. But oh God, that, that just the way they bring her in, what they do with her once she comes in, The Exorcism itself is a goddamn mess. Like what a mess of a, <laughs> of a story there. Yeah, they really dropped the ball, and I hope David Gordon Green stays off all of the franchises. Like, if he wants to make his own shit, fine, but stay out of the franchises because this was a this wasn't good. Agreed. Where, where do you guys want to start? I, first of all, the bum in the homeless shelter should have got slugged by the dad for the sexual innuendo towards his missing daughter. Yeah, that's but, that's, a, that's a slugging. But at the same time, it's like you're going to a place with people that have. You know they, you know they're not right, and slug they have him, issues. No. It's a, we're slugging. I don't know, like <laughs> slug him. He shouldn't have been there. That in scene, first place, really. that scene was just weird in general. It was though. weird. It was yeah, really un, it was really like unneeded and un, unnecessary. I mean, there's just like a lot of like weird dialogue in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, in general. Yeah, I, I told you guys in the chat. I, I feel, and you, you hit it, Steve. With he should the filmmaker should do his own stuff. I think he's. He thinks he's good at imitating, which he is a little bit, but he misses what makes these films special, Halloween, Exorcist, and just disrespects the franchise, like Joe mentioned. And do you guys want to start with Chris's cameo? That's kind of a good jumping point. I mean, the whole first 45 minutes of this is them just talking to the kids and taking them to the doctor and trying to figure out what's wrong with them, really. Yeah, so go take it away. No, I was just going to say, before we get into that, I did want to say, like... do you think it was needed to for them to show like what the girls actually did down there? Because they we never actually see sort of the ritual that they do or like what they exactly summoned. Like we don't know yet. And obviously that is also the problem, I guess, with making a trilogy because like I'm sure they're gonna introduce it or tell us at some point like what this demon is. Like we knew right away in the original Exodus. It's Pazuzu, Captain Howdy. It was con- you know, conjured from a Ouija board. Like it seems like what they did down there was a similar like thing, but like a newer version of it where they're like bringing stuff in and trying to con- I think she was trying to conjure her mother, right? She was trying to yeah, communicate with her mother her. and they op- they opened some sort of door. Um did you do you think it was necessary or do you like that they kind of just didn't show it and they end up missing and we don't know? I think we kind of have to have that and as another critique for me is they showed stuff that we didn't need to see. Like the homeless shelter scene didn't add anything to it, and they overlooked stuff that we wanted to see, like how we got to this point, and then later on the exorcism itself. So we know that it's Pazuzu, right? It has to be Pazuzu that's possessing the girls because Pazuzu would recognize Chris McNeil, right? They they make a point to show that this demon knows Chris McNeil, knows about Reagan, teases that Reagan was killed. So it has to be Pazuzu. I don't know. Are demons like fucking chatting at the water cooler uh, in hell? Yes, like I, have I Facebook I, Messenger. Yeah, barely, right? Like I, I don't know what what the fuck. Like it has to be Pazuzu, and it should like 
fucking Chris McNeil should have been haunted way more than she was. There should be imagery from Pazuzu, whether it's Pazuzu's face or the statue or something that connects the first film that makes her feel that Pazuzu is back. Like, you know, kind of leading into what happens with Chris McNeil. She's just brought in in such a random way, way too willingly for no reason. And like, basically a stranger comes to her door, says, my daughter's possessed. She's like, cool, I'm going to drive with you, random Son person. Son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and face the demon, which she specifically says she hasn't faced in The Exorcist. You Can know, I stop she- you right there? Yeah. I, I absolutely hate this scene, okay? Because in the first film, we have people. Yes, they happen to be men, but they're people, man of faith, whatever, that literally give their lives to save this little girl. And... Chris McDill has audacity to say, I wasn't allowed in there because of fucking patriarchy. Shut the fuck up. These guys gave up their life for your daughter, and this is the line we get after not seeing you for X amount of years in this film. That's the best you can get up with, some clickbait bullshit. I cannot stand that scene. And then, yeah, she has this problem, and then you're like, oh, I'm an expert, even though you're not an expert. You're not. You We're on the sidelines, you know what I mean? So just to like throw away their legacy is just so fucking disrespectful they're amazing characters doesn't matter if they're men or women they did a fucking cool ass thing and just to throw them away like they're nothing was like that that really made me mad about this film yeah i mean this whole thing is really they really do tarnish a lot of the legacy of that original but just like that is not even chris mcneil's character she is just like a terrified mother in that first movie um that just wants help for her daughter you know there was never any of inkling of that at all in the entire movie i mean she just wanted help and then all of a sudden like she's fucking has the like she after all these years like goes in and tries to be like the exorcist like that was the i fucking hated this scene so much she just like all of a sudden just like comes in and just starts doing like what an exorcist priest does which she's not a priest in any way like doesn't have any experience with this and it's not like okay she wrote a book but like it's not like she's fucking delved on this exorcism shit her entire life she wrote a book and kind of moved on and now like they're trying to treat her like she has like this like special ability to go and fight this demon off honestly it was so fucking dumb i hated it and then it just didn't make sense. And then for them to just fucking spit in the face of that character and the legacy by having that character granted a cool scene, like with her eyes getting stepped out, but do it to a different fucking character. Don't do it to the legacy character that you were bringing back that in the trailer, honestly, tease was going to be like this big sort of savior or at least help of the movie. And literally you dispose of her in a matter of like two minutes of screen time. You know, I hope she got paid well for this movie and she made a lot of money because Holy shit. Like, I, I can't believe, honestly, I can't believe she she agreed to come back with the way this script was written. I know they did this whole emotional bullshit that we'll get into later with Reagan and whatnot, but yeah. Let's get, in, really, let's get into really, it. really disappointing. Let's get into that now. Chris says that she hasn't seen Reagan in X amount of years because Reagan was mad about her writing the book. And then she can't see her ever again because her eyes have been gouged out. Really, David Gordon Green, this is the subtlety that you're putting into this movie. It's so fucking lazy, and I cannot stand it. Was it a shocking scene? Yeah. Was it cool? Was it brutal? Sure. But then she's gone, and she does not come back. And I'm like, what? Such a wasted opportunity of a legacy character. You can't bring back the guys. You can bring back Chris or Reagan, but this is what you decide to do with her. You have a stupid-ass throwaway line, and she gets disposed of within 10 minutes of her screen time. It's like, wow. Yeah, the whole thing was an issue. So, David Gordon Green, please pull up a chair. I'm going to tell you how it was supposed to be done. 
You have Ooh, Chris McNeil. Hold on, let me get his notepad out. <laughs> yeah. There you go, he's ready. Uh, you have Chris McNeil have dreams that Pazuzu has come back. You have her see visions of the two little girls so that when Leslie Odom Jr. does show up to the door, I she's love already expecting him because she knows that Pazuzu is back and she's the only person who might have the resources, not herself, but has the resources to maybe fight back because she's kept in contact with people who have done this over the years. And, and it should have been the fucking priest from the exorcist, the one at the end who kind of like does the last rites to Father Karras as he's passing away. That's how they should have brought this whole fucking story together. This whole just showing up at the door and doing nothing, you know, just trying to do the exorcism herself immediately. Like she walks into the door, she's like, time for an exorcism, bitch. <laughs> and she just goes up there alone and then gets stabbed. Good. And then we don't see her for the rest of the movie till the end. Absolute fucking waste of that character. Oh my god, I was so mad. And from there, it just it didn't get better. You know, it didn't get worse because that was really the kind of peak of the shit. But I I think it gets worse personally. <laughs> really? Yeah. The and this is like way at the end of the film, but the whole we have to have hope monologue. I was like, shut the fuck up. The thirteen year old girl, fourteen year old girl was just fucking dragged to hell because you guys fucked up. And then this is like we have to have hope. Shut up. Just shut up, David Gordon Green. Be quiet. Him and his whole writing team, just stay away from it. Go to comedy. Stay away from this shit. Or hire Steve to fucking give you notes. I don't know. Yeah, it was so, so bad. Okay, so enough about Chris McNeil, because it's just going to piss me off more. So how about we get into the second half of this movie? So this is where the girls start exhibiting more behaviors of exorcism, of being possessed, and then get into what is kind of an exorcism. But also not is I don't know it was super weird. Is it? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like is the exorcist it? fucking stays in the car for half the fucking. He's time. fucking like nah. <laughs> yeah. It was a weird. It was such a weird scene. Like there's so much going on. There's multiple characters. There's a like a like an earth healer, and then there's a Catholic like priest who doesn't want to do it, and then there's other people because it's two families that you're. It's just a fucking weird scene overall. What do you guys think of it? Well, it was a shame that we didn't get more of the actual priest in this. I know that's what we all wanted, because especially you, Steve, with the religion horror, you love that. And we see a scene where he goes to like the, I don't know, the big boss man, and he's like, "No, you cannot do an exorcism." And then he goes to the family, and he's like, "Hey, man, I can't do an exorcism, but my girl over here that maybe wanted to be a nun, but she's a nurse, she knows all about it. You're in great hands." And that's what they go with. That is what they go with in this movie. Uh, a person that might have been a nun at one point in her life, but it's 40 fucking years ago and she's a nurse now. They're going to read from the Bible with a bunch of random people. I don't even fucking know who they were, honestly. Yeah, so I think what they were going for here is that, you know, any religion can perform an act. Like, like, let's not just, like, focus on Catholicism. Like, you know, let's bring in these sort of other religions there. I don't even know what that other family was. Were they Christians or something? The father was a minister or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they were Christians. I'm not really sure. I mean, that family wasn't really explored that well, honestly. They're just church-going folk, but we don't really— I don't even know if they mentioned, like, what religion they are and stuff. And then they bring in this sort of earth healer woman and all these random people— Pick a fucking lane, man. Like, there's just way too much. Go Like, if you want to go with, okay, let's not focus on Catholicism. Let's go with some different religion. That's fine. And it's not, like, a bad way to go because every Exodus movie obviously deals with Catholicism. But choose one or the other. Like, 
throwing in all these fucking random ass characters into this one exorcism, it was just a mess to me. It just did not work at all. And then by the time you bring in the priest, like cool scene when they fucking break his neck, I did enjoy that part Badass of that. That was a great scene. That was one of the best scenes in the movie, honestly, to show, you know, like these demons are not to be, this demon is not to be fucked with. But at that point, it's just like the whole, everything else is just such a fucking mess here. So yeah, I just think it was just so, they like had an idea, but to me, it just did not work at all. It might, you know, in theory and on paper, it maybe sounded good, but once it was executed, it was really just just an absolute mess for me of an exorcist scene. But I think I'll give credit to the girls here, and I will say positive. I think they're great. Like I really, I really thought they gave great performances of being possessed. But let's get to like, I mean, we'll get more into it. But man, like, think of the exorcist and how fucking scary some of those scenes were. There's just nothing here that's memorable. You think back to the exorcist, you have so many memorable moments of masturbating with the crucifix, which was fucking crazy at the time. You know, the head, the backwards head turning scene. Your mother sucks the, you know, the hell, hell. The, your mother sucks cock, just really fucking crazy and disturbing stuff. There's just it this is just really tame to me for like, you know, for that. So yeah. Yeah. I, there there's nothing memorable in this. I mean, I love the 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 preacher next snap because he's like oh cool the hero's here he's gonna save nope his head's fucking snapped off i'm like awesome but uh you know the original is like calm escalation calm escalation that keeps getting worse and worse and worse until all literal hell breaks loose and you just can't fucking even focus on what's going on because it's nuts this movie is just like all right we have a demon face behind the dad that was creepy what else you got oh we have a snake under a rock that's okay jump jump scare what else you got standard shit yeah if you're making a sequel to one of the scariest films of all time and you make something this fucking tame like you're you're failing you know it's this should have been they should have thrown everything at this it's got the exorcist name on it like it should have been fucking crazy and scary and my complaints with the girls is they didn't develop them enough like they go from normal girls to demon girls way too quickly you know, they focus on shit that just doesn't matter. Like the the two families fighting with each other and, you know, the whole backstory with the nurse, which I didn't hate the nurse character, but I think that was a lot because I like Anne Dowd as an actress and it that made it better. But that whole backstory was kind of just brought in really quickly. They really don't develop a lot of these characters. The, the priest, you barely knew who he was. You know, he wasn't really in integral to the story. And then they bring him in for the exorcism and then he leaves the exorcism and then he comes back to the exorcism. It's just, it was just a fucking mess. And the end thing, and I agree with Joe, they need to pick a lane. Like I'm totally fine if they pick another religion or another faith to deal with the exorcism and to get rid of the demon. But there's so many people and things going on in that final scene. The girls aren't restrained like pretty much at all. It's a weird scene that just, it didn't work. It was too messy and had no focus. Like the exorcist had focus. You know, the priest, they go in, they realize that this is tougher than they thought it would be. They leave the room, they come back. It's even, you know, it's a slow progression and this didn't have any of that. It was just like, they threw shit in and hope it stuck and it, it just didn't. There's no danger. There's no, there's no danger. And, and besides these girls being kids and that's being shitty, like you guys mentioned, there's no development. Like, there's a little bit with Angela, a little bit. But with the other character, like, we're supposed to be really heartbroken about what happens to her. And it sucks because she's a kid and she's a person. But apart from that, we don't know her. 
like okay she diddles herself in the in the church which was i thought a laughable scene and just looked weird her playing with herself and then her walking up the aisle screaming some shit that's all we got of her and it's like why are we supposed to care we we didn't we don't know her we don't know her family like make make us care we don't yeah no i, I yeah they did not develop they did not do a good job developing her i i mean they i think they definitely did a better job developing um the other character the father and the daughter but the, that whole family i mean you're supposed to be focusing on these two girls so i think they should have gotten equal screen time of them developing both of these characters because like you said once it gets to the of course the choice of you know the two demons saying you know one girl's gonna live one girl's gonna die you have to make the choice it's like you know, I think we care about one more than the other. <laughs> and, you know, the one that does die is the one that isn't developed or cared about enough. I did like that, though. I did like that scene. I thought that was pretty cool that the demon, once again, played tricks, of course, when the father does say, I choose you. And the demon, of course, does the complete opposite and kills the one that they did choose. So I, I, I thought that was cool and just showing that, you know, this demon isn't here to play games. But then, I mean, this also becomes the problem with these legacy sequels now, or like that they're going to make this into a trilogy. Because, okay, like all of a sudden, like the demon makes a choice and then releases this other girl. So where do we go from here, right? I mean, this demon obviously isn't done, but why did it decide to leave the girl? Is it going to come, or did it not leave the girl? It's still in there, but is like released her for now, and it's going to come back out? I don't know. What do you guys think? To, to expand them on that, why, why, how did they win? Because the whole thing of the exorcist is like, we have to be united front. We have to be, we have to be strong-willed. We have to be better than that. We have to have faith. And all these different emotions, all these different walks of life, all these different people are in there doing their own fucking thing. How's the demon even fucking lose? You know what I mean? Did it lose? Do we want to know what happened like you mentioned in part two and three? I don't, because I don't give a fuck. Like, it's, it's like setting a movie up for a trilogy. Have one contained movie. If it does great, expand upon it. If it doesn't, we can start over, but now we're fucking stuck in this trilogy. Like, why? Yeah, the demon itself was just a weird. Like, what was the end goal of the demon? Like, it doesn't really have a point. Like, it had a point in The Exorcist. You know, it wanted to essentially take over Reagan, and in this one, it just felt like it was fucking around. Like, it's like he's bored and he's just gonna go around and do some shit. You know, if they should have set it up, and again. Pull up a chair, Mr. Green, because I'm going to bring you to film school. I think this whole goal, if you really want to make this trilogy, was for him to get back to Reagan. You know, if he really wants to make it, like, significant, and in some way he's trying to manipulate these families so that, you know, Crispin Neal comes back and then somehow gets his hands back on Reagan because it's, like, unfinished business to this demon. We, we got basically none of that. It had nothing to do with anything. There's no reason. We don't know why he possessed the kids. We don't know what, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, why he let one go, why he killed the other one. It's just, I don't know. It just didn't set up anything. Like it's like you said, I don't know what to expect in the second one. What kind of fucking film? It's, it doesn't stand alone great, and it doesn't really set up anything for the next one. It's like a weird void. Well, I think your theory might be right, Stephen. I think that, that might be the way they're going because it did it did the demon was able i guess to get chris mcneil back which you know it ends up stabbing the eyes out and that is the reason reagan does come back into the picture at the very end of the movie so maybe that is its end goal and that's something we are going to pick up in the sequels you know it was great to see linda blair back in that last scene obviously you know i i'm just being a big fan of the excess it was a it was a treat to see her back and 
I just hope do you do we think is this was what's going to happen in the sequel? Like is it gonna kind of bring Linda more into the sequel and she'll kind of play a pivotal role in this second movie? I think that would be the goal. Uh, they didn't right. do a good job of setting that up at all. That's really like all that whole telegraph stuff. This should, the movie doesn't do this. This is just me saying I want this essentially. And knowing David Gordon Green, that might be the end. That might be the fucking end of Reagan and Chris. You know, like happily ever after. Let's move on to my own shitty characters, Corey. And uh, that'll be the legacy of this new franchise. So I don't know what if that's what he's intending. That's what he should intend. But I don't know if that's actually what he's going to end up doing. Do they abandon this whole trilogy now with Gordon Green at the helm because it made $44 million on a $450 million budget, including the purchase? Or what do we what, what do they do? No? No way. I mean, this movie was number one in the box office, so it's it's going to end up probably passing. I mean, I don't know. Word of mouth right now is not very good on this movie, clearly. But you're putting a movie in October. It's going to, I mean, Taylor Swift obviously is going to dominate it <laughs> the next couple of weeks. But people will still go see it. So say it clears, you know, 70, 80 million and then merchandising. And then the next few, they'll definitely make that 450 back, I would think. But there weren't. So obviously the big rumor that came out, um, I think today or yesterday was that David Gordon Green might not be coming back to the director chair for the next two movies, but he still wrote it like him and McBride still wrote these two movies. So it's still going to be his and McBride's vision or just Green's. Vision. I don't know, you know, if they collaborate on this. So it'll be still be that team's vision, even with a different director in the chair. So, you know, David Gordon Green is still going to be overseeing this. He's still going to have his, you know, sort of hand on the pulse of this of this the rest of this trilogy so even with a different director i don't think it can be saved um but we'll see i mean maybe they redeem themselves in this second movie and we have some great stuff with you know reagan i mean but for me like some of the choices they made like i said in this original is going to be tough to forgive in these next two movies yeah i don't think they make their money back so right now they're at 450 million. They have to make two more movies. That's going to be at least another 50 million each. So you're looking at 550 million. I just don't see this trilogy doing all that well because people are going into this one with the goodwill that it's a sequel to The Exorcist, right? Whereas the next one, people are going like, ugh, this is the sequel to Believer. It's no longer the sequel to The Exorcist. It's a sequel to Believer. And I think people will be like, I don't really want to see this necessarily in theaters like maybe i'll see it when it's streaming and which is almost the way i if i wasn't a huge extras fan that's how i would think as well so i don't know i i think they're pretty fucking doomed and they almost need to cut their losses and make the next two sequels you know someone else write them or something what do you how do you guys feel about uh i know this was like a big thing in the online message boards and stuff like that and that was that they did not pay tribute to William Friedkin at the end of the movie, like no mention, no rest in peace at the end or anything like that. They paid uh, a lot of homage to the original Halloween stuff and whatnot, you know, uh, and even scream, you know, for Wes at the end of scream, but this one, no mention a freaking who literally just passed away a couple of months ago. You think his past controversies have anything to do with that? I mean, LaFreakin, great director. There's no taking away from his direction. But watch any documentary about any movie he's made. He's a fucking psycho. Like, the way he treated Linda Blair in Exorcist, the way he treated some of the other cast members, uh, it's, it's pretty horrifying how he was as a director. So I'm wondering 
if that had anything to do with it. There's also a thing going around that shows that one of the last things he talked about when he first was asked about Believer was this, <laughs> essentially the movie and uh, David Gordon Green. So I don't know. I have a feeling that that's why he isn't mentioned. Well, his movies are better than this will ever be. So no, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, this piece of shit makes you appreciate the original that much more and also made me appreciate the show that joe uh, steve made us watch which we all loved that much more too and you know what bring in russell crowe to fight the next one i think we get a crossover between pope's exorcist and this movie i think that'd be pretty fun if we wanted to just go fucking wild with it yeah bring the priests from the exorcist tv show bring in russell crowe yeah yeah it's it's like fucking the expendables of exorcists <laughs> you know, to fight pazuzu once and for all it'd be yeah, that'd Ed be and Lorraine amazing. Warren, bring them in. <laughs> yes. We're getting everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the end goal here? Like for the third movie? Like, how is this trilogy ending? Is it's, it gonna be it's gonna be like right? It's gonna be Reagan and Chris like okay, joining so and I think it's impossible to predict. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because this is the same fucking thought that got us into trouble with Halloween ends, where we thought it would all lead up to Michael versus Lori in a final fucking crazy show- showdown. And we did not get that. Mm-hmm. And he, and he, this is going to be the same thing. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. It should be the ultimate battle between Reagan and Pazuzu. But that's, let's, let's face it, that's probably not going to fucking happen at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, it's. I think it's impossible to predict just for the reason Steve mentioned right now. We all saw where the trilogy was going with Halloween and it went completely in the left field with, with a new character that took 90% of the focus of the final film in a trilogy. So I, I have no idea. I have no idea what he's going to do. Do you think they learned something, though, from Halloween 3 or Halloween Ends? Like, nope. where they, they saw that the fan base, like, really, like, I don't see many people giving positive feedback on that movie when it came out. Do you think they they heard that feedback and they're like, we can't make the same mistake twice? No, no because look at Exorcist Believer. They made that right. mistake in the first one already. <laughs> at least Halloween 2018 you know, people were upset about a couple things here and there, like the new um, Loomis was a little bit iffy and, you know, Michael not being related to her. Okay, cool. Acceptable, like, complaints. But at least that was a Halloween movie. And then two, still a Halloween movie. And then three, the fuck is this? So no, they didn't learn from their mistakes because they just doubled down on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem, you know, I feel like they're in an echo chamber, right? Uh, there are big time Halloween ends apologists, uh, people who really love it. And that's great. If you loved Halloween ends, I'm super happy for you. You know, I, I know a lot of people didn't, but if you did, awesome. But then maybe David Gordon Green only listens to those people who are praising it and completely like disregard anyone who didn't. So I feel he didn't learn anything. God, I hope he stays off all the other franchises. I read something about Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, fuck no. Oh, Lord, please. <laughs> he's he's rumored for Star Wars, too. Give yeah, that's, I, apparently I, that's not true. Thankfully, take him out of the hard. I mean, I think he'd be, he's good in comedy, man. Like he, you know, I've been watching Righteous Gemstones lately. I really enjoy Righteous that Gemstones show. Is legit. Yeah, I mean, he does great. He does comedy great. I think, I think they think they're great at horror in their uh-huh. own minds. You know, <laughs> they're, they're I, I honestly, I think they're still harping on the success of the original of Halloween 2018, and they still think like they're amazing. You know, or maybe he has a really good relationship with Jason Blum. I don't, I don't really know. It's got to be, but I think they think they're smarter than they really are when it comes to this uh, genre, yeah. and that they, you know, so, and I think that's the problem. I agree, and you know, Halloween ends 
take away Michael Myers from it, take away Halloween from it, and make it a, a fresh new story about this guy that gets labeled a fucking monster for accidentally killing somebody, and then it's a fucking cool movie. It's a cool movie, but it's not a good Halloween movie. So, like, like we mentioned earlier, let him do his own thing, get your own property, make up your own story, and I'll watch it. But if you're if you're taking any more previous entities over, man, it's not it's. It's yeah. not working. And and the thing that really fucking like razzles my nuts with him is that razzles your nuts. What does <laughs> yeah, that I don't mean? Know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find something weird to, to say right. with that. I'm Googling it. Yeah. Um, is that not only is he taking on these like big name franchises, right? Like the other Halloween that we got, right? At least it was self-contained. It didn't affect like previous Halloweens, you know, it was really just kind of uh, Rob Zombie's own own thing. He's making fucking sequels to the movies we love, you know, and we we talked about in the past, like reboots, re- sequels, all that stuff. If it's a sequel, it hurts them. Even though it, it doesn't take away from Halloween, I can still watch Halloween, enjoy it and disregard all this shit. It's still you get those characters and I'm I'm going to always think about that Lori and how her story ended so poorly. And it just it pisses me off. You know, it's just I don't know. Fuck that dude. Let's rate it while our anger is super fresh. Yes. What do you got? All right. I'll, yeah, I'll start us off. So, you know, leaving, you know, if this was not a movie called The Exorcist, right? And it was just an exorcism movie, I think I'd probably like this more, a little more. And I'd probably would have given it like a three or something like that. But the fact that you are incorporating uh, The Exorcist, one of the most iconic horror movies of all time, and then just the choices you make, to me, they were just unforgivable in so many ways. Um, you know, like I said, especially what they do with the legacy characters. Can this franchise be saved? You know, we shall see in the next two movies. But as this movie stands, it's just not great. It's just not very good. You know, the girls were good. There's some good performances here. But like I said, it's just, to me, it comes down to the writing and the choices that were made. So... As an Exorcist movie, I get, I'm giving it a two out of five. I mean, all right, cool. I mean, I give it my my two cents. Uh, it's a bad movie, whether it's Exorcist or not. It's just not a good film. Um, it's a one and a half out of five for me. Yeah, I, I don't want to take away from Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance and the girls' performance and dad's performance. There are some good things about it, particularly in the first half of the movie. So I don't think it's like one of the worst films of the year. But holy fuck, was it a bad fucking Exorcist movie. So I'm giving it a two out of five as well. Oof, brutal. Brutal, brutal. That's our worst 2023 review mainstream (laughs) film, for sure. Is it? It's got to be. Mainstream? Probably. Collectively, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Could be, yeah. Yeah, I really didn't know. I was interested to see. I, I had a feeling when I when I left the theater, I was like, yeah, Todd's definitely going to hate this. But I was like, <laughs> Steve's, such, Steve's always the wild card. And especially because he loves Exodus movies so much, mm. much. I was like, he might like this. But yeah, I'm glad we're all sort of in agreement. <laughs> yeah, we are. And, it, and it, seems, it seems like the majority of the audience is also in agreement. It's, I think it's sitting at like a 2.3 currently over on Letterboxd. Uh, so that's about right where we're at in between everything. Uh, all right. So I guess that is going to be it, guys, for this week's episode. Don't forget, stick around for not one, 
but two interviews this week as we have uh, Ms. Diamond Wigfall and also Buster Pants, who came on to promote their upcoming event in Salem, Massachusetts, October 28th. Uh, and also they will be uh, doing our event, our Hocus Pocus event as well. So to stick around for that interview, and also director Scott Sloan for Malibu Horror Story is also going to be on this episode. So stick around for two great interviews right after this episode. Next week, we are going to be reviewing The Haunted Mansion. I know Steve is ready to talk about that. I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts about that one. So, uh, And honestly, I can't wait to pick his brain about that as well to explore a little more of the Haunted Mansion mythology. So next week check out the haunted mansion it's currently streaming over on disney plus in the meantime you can keep up with the podcast facebook twitter instagram threads x whatever you want to call it these days just search the horror squad podcast you can also email us anytime the horror squad podcast at gmail.com but of course the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast is our discord completely free to join just send us a dm through any of our socials or email us and we will get you a link to that discord completely free to join excellent community over there we got movie nights going on every month we got events we got meetups so definitely keep up over on the discord and merch as well we did just release a new hocus pocus themed merch for the month of october so you can do that uh you can join uh check our links but um buy some merch help support the podcast and always and as always you can leave us a five-star review over on any of your favorite podcast apps that definitely helps us the most it gets uh our word out there and helps spread the engagements we would appreciate it and that's going to be it, guys. We'll see you guys next week for the Haunted Mansion. And don't forget, stick around for the two interviews. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast, where today we are joined by two very special guests. Please welcome Drag King Buster Pants and our very own Mistress of Ceremonies for our upcoming Hocus Pocus event, Ms. Diamond Wigfall. Thank you both so much for joining us today. How are you both doing? Hi, good. I'm doing well, doing well, hanging in there. It's already October 2nd, and I'm feeling that. But, you know. <laughs> October is hitting hard this year. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you're both very busy. Uh, now, I know that one of the main reasons you're coming on today is you both uh, very busy Octobers, but there's a very special horror event that I know all horror fans and our listeners are going to want to know about. So can you tell us about the very special Shining Shadowcast you guys have going on at the end of the month? So uh, we run Drag Shadow Cast, which basically, if you've ever been to Rocky Horror before, when they do it at midnight and they have a cast of people act out the movie in front of the film while it's going. Uh, so we take movies like we've done Legally Blonde, Mean Girls, we've done Scream, we've done uh, Elf. Elf. Yeah, <laughs> we've done lots of great movies and we've done The Shining before. And obviously we did it in February last year, which was like, what's the coldest, most worst time that we could do this, the coldest movie possible. Um, but we wanted to bring it back for Halloween because it's it's truly one of my favorite productions that we get to do. Um, so it's a lot, a lot of fun. Excellent. Now, uh, obviously, Salem has a fantastic horror and also LGBTQ2S plus community. How has the response been on your previous horror themed events in town? Um, they always go over really well, like no matter what time of year, like October, obviously people are going to love it, but people want spooky stuff all year round. So we we did Scream over the summer. 
uh, you know, we do The Shining in February. Like, there's no wrong time to do spooky stuff at Salem. So people come out for it. Yeah, we just actually finished Twilight. Uh, and that, I didn't think that it would be as crazy as it was, but those Twihards, they went hard. They were <laughs> I love that Twihards. I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. I love that though. <laughs> um, so... I think that's what their Reddit fandom is called. I'm okay. Pretty... Love that. <laughs> um, so to be able to uh, shadow cast a, a movie takes some extreme dedication. So obviously you both must be big fans of The Shining. Can you discuss some of the things about the movie that uh, you know you find memorable or iconic and the first time you ever saw it? Well, I'll go first and then I'll let you expand on it. So I actually, I've seen the movie obviously a million times. I grew up watching it and I actually got to see a screening of it at Cinema Salem uh, when I was like 10. They did a special screening of it and I was with my grandpa and my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I was like 10 or 11. So I had seen it at that point and they were like, it's happening tonight. Um, so it's always been a movie that I've been obsessed with. And I think uh, as you get older, you realize there's so much more to it than what you know just spooky stuff there's incredible monologues there's incredible like cinematography there's so much there's so much depth in this two and a half hour saga so I think you know retaking it and reclaiming it uh, as queer people and kind of like you know Buster being a drag king playing a misogynistic piece of crap and Patriarchy. like <laughs> yeah I don't know just reclaiming it and like even I'm playing Wendy as Shelley Duvall like you get like you get such an appreciation for what they had to go through and poor Shelley Duvall in the whole process too. <laughs> but like you, you can feel the anxiety uh, the whole time. So what about you? <laughs> um, first time I saw it was like less than 10 years ago. Like I never grew up watching scary movies. I was like a pure mm. Disney household. My mom didn't want to put on <laughs> scary cause she didn't want to deal with the fallout. So I saw it on like a date. Someone was like, oh, you've never seen, yeah. So I was like, hey, romantic, you want to watch The Shining <laughs> together? And like, they fell asleep while I was watching it. So I was just like <laughs> watching it essentially by myself for the first time. But I love psychologically tense movies. Like the the silence that they fill with like ambient noise of like the chanting and the howling of the wind. And like it should be silent. You're just holding on like what is that that's that's how i like to be scared I, I like the tension of it all love it i miz i know you just mentioned about you know shelly duvall have you ever seen like the behind the scenes like yeah. stuff with her and kubrick it's crazy yeah, we watched it like as a cast we sat there and watched it because we want you know we tried to learn a bit about how the movie was made in general just because even when we're staging it uh we try to match the cinematography I don't, do you, do you know the movie pretty well? I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Looking at you, I don't know, but, uh, uh, but you know, the first scene where they're going through the hotel and it's like the shot of them walking one by one and like, you see the hotel. So we choreograph it that way. So it looks like we're matching it and things like that. And we try, you know, we try to do our research on what we're trying to give. Um, so those videos are so horrible. He treats her mm. so horribly. Um, so yeah, we just try our best to, reclaim that also you know that she won the first razzie for worse yeah and they they gave it they Crazy. resented it now um, good so she officially doesn't have that razzie which she is a great actress in it i don't care what anyone says it's she's wonderful and meanwhile role. jack nicholson was having the time of his life <laughs> he was a living be like i get to go through a door yeah <laughs> this is my buddy kubrick we hang out right 
Absolutely. So you mentioned Scream, and of course you have The Shining coming up. Have you already started thinking about what other horror films you would possibly like to do a shadow cast for in the future? I okay. What you 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 know? <laughs> no, I, I don't horror specifically. Uh, I know we've dabbled. We people have wanted us to do the craft. I mean, mm. that's not horror, but it is witchy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think that no, the Exorcist would be too hard. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty cool though. <laughs> it would be pretty cool though, but the yeah. pra- I mean, if we made Twilight work, I think we could maybe figure out how to make the Exorcist work. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think right now the the top of our list, the one that we we've really wanted to do is, but I'm a cheerleader, but okay. we haven't got around to it yet because that's like so queer cult classic. Um, and we do want to do Rocky Horror as well, but there is a troupe that does Rocky Horror, so mm-hmm. we want to remain respectful and do our own thing, you know what I mean? Because that's what they do. But a, a dream of ours definitely has been to do Rocky Horror or The Craft, I feel like, spooky-wise. I feel like Prom Night 2 maybe <laughs> would also be, like, a really good one, because that one is, like, unintentionally, like, very gay, so... That's true. Yeah. That's true. Or maybe, into, I don't know. The no. first Nightmare on Elm Street would also be really, really great to do, too. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Halloween. Perfect. That's easy. Love that's that. five people in the whole movie. It's just me <laughs> right. Around the whole theater. <laughs> that's amazing. So thanks to festivals like Salem Horror Fest, uh, queer horror films have recently had a bigger spotlight than they ever have. Uh, is there anyone, any like particular ones you would recommend to our listeners? Huh. Well, I think that with so Salem Horror Fest is helping us produce this show. They're helping us, you know, create promotion and really like getting at, out to their audience because we are like, you know, their K is amazing. I love them. I love what they do. I think that in the last couple of years, I don't know if you saw that Netflix series. What was the, it was like a three-parter uh, Netflix horror and it was very gay. They had a lot of queer characters oh. like Horror Street or something like that. Yeah, Fear Street. Fear Street. Yeah, Fear love that. I thought that was really, really great. And there's some good stuff on Hulu that I need to watch now because I keep seeing all these amazing promotions. But I think that Dragula, I don't know if you ever heard of the program before, mm-hmm. but it's basically like there's Drag Race for, for you know, the drag queens, whatever. And then Dragula is more like the queer as in fuck you type of drag. Um, <laughs> and I think that resurgence and reclaiming like queer people taking these horror identities and you know like pinhead being now a queer icon and like so ba- baba shook the baba duck is now uh, <laughs> I, I accidentally a queer icon um i think that more and more these queer artists that have been behind a lot of these things are getting are getting shown in the forefront um i don't know queer people have to go through so much in general like in their life so they're they you know they got some sick ideas up in that head. a great way to unwind yeah. from the reality of the world yeah right? <laughs> now uh i mean obviously ms i can tell you're like a, a just been a lifelong horror fan and buster came in later in life so uh i, I sure. yeah, yeah so i i w- at what age was it that like you know would you say was you saw your very first horror movie what was it you know what was sort of the like the feeling and the reaction, just all that good stuff. Do you want for me? Yeah, you okay, go first. Okay, so first. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and count. Are you afraid of the dark? 
Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I remember watching that as a kid and being terrified because we weren't exposed yes. to anything spookier than that. So like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark were so scary to me. And then watching them now, I'm like, what? I was afraid of that. Um, but the first like real horror movie I watched, I was in college and it was 8 a.m. class. I was studying American pop culture and we watched Halloween. And I realized mm -hmm. if you watch a horror movie first thing in the morning, way less scary. <laughs> <laughs> so Halloween was actually my first one. And I was like, that was okay. It was psychologically intense. Like there wasn't a lot of gory, like creepy. I don't anything that dabbles in like, Gore is not your favorite. Gore and like rape mm. stuff. Mm. Not you, my seat. Not you, my seat. You don't like that? No. <laughs> There's a lot of it in horror, which oh, is sorry. why I don't watch a lot of it because I'm like, I don't feel good anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> the first horror movie I watched, I actually, my sister had a sleepover, and you can record this and then send this to her. Uh, she had a sleepover. I was five years old, and they watched uh friday the 13th the original one and then they watched the leprechaun back to back and all of them fell asleep and i was five years old and i stayed i was like watching it the whole time like shaking um so i think that anxiety trip kind of made me be like i think i need to do this all the time uh but my parents were always you know i watched nightmare on elm street really young i would say that's probably one of my favorite horror movies just because <laughs> oh god the mom in it is so great like i just uh, realized i have to amend my answer i remembered the first time i saw a horror movie was at a sleepover okay and i was a, i was like a freshman in high school and we saw freddy versus jason that <laughs> Ooh, <was> nice <laughs> i forgot because it's horrible and embarrassing but <laughs> the first one yeah uh, i don't know if that counts but i thought i should put it out there come out but that, counts. <laughs> that counts that counts Kelly Rowland, you know, like what a great actress in, in Freddy vs. Jason, her first acting role. Uh, I was so scared. And then I watched it and I was like, <laughs> this is dumb. Um, I think the ring, the ring is what fucked me. Ooh. Allowed to swear? Should I not swear? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, go so, for it. The, fuck that. Okay. Um, the ring <laughs> fucked me up. Uh, one of my best friends, Brittany, she would always Brittany. take me to horror movies and she would tell she told my dad and I to go see it. She's like, I just saw this movie. You're going to love it. It's so scary. We're like 10 or 11. And I <laughs> didn't sleep in my own bed for like, I didn't sleep in my own bed for like four months, maybe. Because I was scared that Sumara was going to like grab my legs under my bed. Um, so nice. yeah, I think The Ring was probably like my most like eye opening. Like, I think I like horror movies now. Like, I think that this is going to be a part of my personality. Um and deep appreciation for it for sure all right well i i personally have one final one i think steve might have another one for you but i want to know top five horror movies of all time let's hear them what do you got Ooh. putting you on the spot Ooh, that that's tough so uh, i i have a couple you can, head, I'm you can do top three if you want <laughs> i have to okay i love the director slipping my name he's from salem he did uh dr sleep what's his name oh michael flanagan Love Michael Flanagan stuff. I yes. love everything because he, I love that he creates monologues, like scary mm. monologues. I think yeah. to me, that's 10 times more scary than just like killing and stabbing someone repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we like The Shining so much because like a lot of the imagery is scary. Like that, yes. that first monologue in the very beginning where the guy tells the whole story about what happened to the family is just so creepy and it sticks with you like a lot more. So I love him. Gerald's Game is so scary. Um, that movie screwed me up 
for sure. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, you check Gerald... your feet. At, you check your feet now at the end of the bed there. For oh yeah. Someone... <laughs> well, I was like, it made me like re scared of the dark. I was like, is some man just gonna be like in the dark and like I'm, yeah, all the time. Uh, that Gerald's game comes to mind. I really did love Doctor Sleep. I thought it was a really yes. good take on it because I think that uh. You know, I love that they didn't rely too much on the original Shining tropes. Like, it was kind of like its own side character in there. And I love that that when they did eventually go back to it, it was really earned. It wasn't just like, here's the same scary shit you saw in the first one. Um, and I think that Haunting of Hill House, like, I would, that series. Oh, Midnight Mass, too. I loved yes. both of them. Bly Manor was good, too. Did you watch Bly Manor? I think yeah. Bly Manor was my least favorite out of all of them. Yeah, That's I would agree with that. Yeah, just because of the janky accents. I was like, we need to stop here. You could have hired someone who's Irish. We could have figured that out. Um, you, like, yeah. I've never seen it, but I love a bad accent. Oh, it's so. a, pretty bad. It's pretty bad. All right, you go, you go. Okay, uh, my number one is Hard Candy. Uh, Ooh, with, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm obsessed with that movie. And mm -hmm. my dad was the first person to show it to me. And I was just like, I don't know. First five minutes in, he's like, no, no, no. Trust me, hang on. It's going to take a few twists. Um, that is for sure my number one. I make way too many people watch it. Um, then probably The Shining. I've seen mm. the most. I mean, aside from rehearsals now that we've seen it a million times. But <laughs> prior to that, I could still probably act out the whole thing by myself. Um, ooh, then I don't know. Then it gets weird. Like Scream, Halloween. I mean, not weird. These are very normal movies. Yep. But I don't know. Ambiguous in order, I Classic. guess. Classic. Yeah. I like, like classic. I love Scream because it's so meta like yeah. i love just meta humor like we're not in a horror movie whoa what are you gonna stab me and yeah then, yeah people get stabbed um so i'm always there for that kind of humor yeah. um honorable mention to nightmare on elm street for sure because it was <laughs> yes. it's one of my favorites i think my favorite moment is when like nancy is that her name the elite girl yes and she comes and she slams the door and she goes mother do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah yes I, yes <laughs> uh, one of my favorite moments in a horror movie <laughs> Uh, so my final question so Ms, you will be the mistress of ceremony at the event at bitbar on october 20th oh buster oh, even, even better so i'm so the question is to both of you then can you give us a little bit of a preview of what to expect at that awesome party on october 20th at bitbar with the cast of a very popular witchy movie <laughs> so uh i'll i'll say uh you know, you might see some classic uh, characters that come from said favorite Halloween movie. You're, there might be Love a moment it. like that, for sure. There might be someone in a white mask moving very slowly. Uh, you know, I don't know. There could be some of that. Uh, I think somebody's doing a Sabrina number, maybe. You know, we we got some we got some good burlesque. We have some good some some good drag. I think that will be an, a fabulous event and will be magical. Um, Buster is probably doing one of my favorite numbers that they mm. have. Um, it's uh, amazing, so I can't wait for you guys to see it. I don't want to give it away. Mm. I don't want to <laughs> give it away because it is. You gotta come see it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Exactly. Tickets. You gotta buy those tickets to see the show now and uh, before it sells out. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's probably like my favorite number you have. Is it? it it's just it. <laughs> it's a great. It's a. When I came up with this number, it was like a throwaway number. I was like, it was when I used to do like 
burlesque with a troupe and I was like oh god I need a number for this weekend and I came up with it so fast and now I've done it so many times and it's probably one of my most well-liked numbers yeah story for a lot of my most popular numbers I'm like ugh I had to do a thing and now everybody loves it. Yeah, that's how, <laughs> that's how I feel about my Taylor Swift number. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Buster and Ms. Diamond, we're, we're both so, so excited to see you both at both events. I mean, we got, of course, it's just a bunch of Halloween, October 20th at BitBar. You can get your tickets. It's just a bunch of Halloween.com. And then, of course, you Shining fans are not going to want to miss the Shining Shadowcast October 28th at Cinema Salem. You're doing two showings, right, yeah. for that? Yeah, because my dad said, why do you have to keep doing these late night drag shows? <laughs> and I said, Dad, I'm going to have a matinee and you're going to be the only person that... Uh, no, but we're going to get people there. I think people will want to come see a 2 p.m. show too. Like, people who are visiting, they don't want to be out till like midnight or one in the morning, so... yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So make sure you get your tickets at those events. Those drag shows definitely sell out. So you do not want to wait. Definitely grab your tickets. Cinemasalem.com is where they can get tickets for that. Yep. There's cinemasalem.com. Okay. And on the one page, you can choose what uh, showtime you'd like to go to. So, okay, perfect. And one last thing before we let you go, it's all yours. Tell us where people can find you, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, anything else you'd like to promote, go for it. This camera, this camera, this camera. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me on social media at M-I-Z, Ms. Diamond Wigfall. Uh, and make sure to follow, I guess, my link tree is always up there with my schedule, any ticket links, any information that you would need to find. And what about you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Pants Buster. My name is Buster Pants, but think about it as roll call um that's where you can find me that's the only place you can find me i'm not on facebook or twitter or anything like that one mode of internet for you mean me. you mean x oh x i'm not on x is it really called that <laughs> yeah. oh my god it is wow. now yeah it looks like a little porn app now you know really? you know what it actually does yeah it does. That's a good point <laughs> I'll, show I'll, I'll show you but yeah <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, so Ms. Diamond Wigfall and Buster Pants, it was an absolute pleasure to have you both on today. And anytime you want to come on again, we would love to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast, where today we are joined by a very special guest. His new movie, Malibu Horror Story, will be hitting theaters on October 20th. Please welcome the writer and director of the film, Scott Sloan. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome. Uh, so why don't you start off by uh, telling our listeners what Malibu Horror Story is about and what inspired you to make it? Yeah, so uh, Malibu Horror Story is about four kids that go missing after graduation night. Uh, they decide to go on a little kind of uh deer hunter style uh, one more time trip with everybody uh, and they go up to the uh uh out to the woods i guess you could say up to the mountains of malibu and uh they go missing and then the case becomes kind of a a, a local phenomenon no one could figure out what happened to these boys and uh years later a uh team uh when the case kind of goes cold a team of paranormal investigators uh decide to kind of take a look at uh, some of the um, footage that had been released to the public, which was 
the four initial kids, uh, they uh, you know, basically were filming everything that they were doing. And so upon second inspection, uh, they might spot something that uh, the, the police didn't see. And so they follow that lead and they go up to the same area where the boys went missing and try to find out what happened to them. Uh, uh, as far as inspiration goes, it was just, you know, in 2009, I got to see Paranormal Activity in the, in the movie theater around Halloween. And uh, as a kid, I did live near Burkittsville, Maryland, and I did get to see Blair Witch. And I did think it was real. Uh, so uh, I can honestly say that uh, I felt the same kind of vibes after seeing Paranormal. And most most of the time I was watching the movie, I was watching the audience, to be honest with you. I thought the audience really reacted well to that film. And I felt there was a whole generation that didn't know anything about Blair Witch or a cannibal Holocaust or, you know, a film like that. And um, so I, I went home and I was like, hey, you know, I want to do something like this. And and because I had come from film and shooting everything on film, digital had just came out and high definition HD had just came out. So digital looked quite good and it gave it a different feel. You know, it wasn't trying to early digital wasn't trying to necessarily replicate film. It was just these camcorders became so high end that uh, you could actually shoot something that people would watch on their on their television or even the movie theater. So uh we went out in 2010 to shoot the very first version of the movie, which was called Malevolent, which only four total seconds of that film is in the current version of the film now, which is insane. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, the the cave and mountain settings in this were very, very effective and felt so genuine. So I'm assuming you, with this one, you also went out and filmed sort of on a location? Yeah, so, you know, uh, uh, that's a great compliment, but I'll give you the BTS side of it. The behind the scenes side of it is, is yes, uh, one cave that we shot in is on a movie ranch out in Valencia, California, which is near Six Flags, about an hour north of L.A., um, Blue Cloud. And that was a cave that was originally built for the TV show called Weeds. And um, we actually ended up building more onto it to kind of make it kind of go twist and turn and there, there's some more claustrophobic areas of the cave that we really kind of capitalized on. And then the other cave is a real cave uh, right below the Hollywood sign in Bronson Canyon. It's the original Adam West Batman cave. Um, so uh, those are the two caves we shot on. Very cool. And they, and they really did work perfectly for the, uh, the whole setting of this movie really added to the, the creepy vibes of it all. So did you, um, did you have any favorite sequences or scenes you filmed or perhaps something that was challenging that you're proud you were able to accomplish? I mean, to be honest with you, in independent filmmaking, everything is challenging, right? Mm. You know, sure. and the, the, cl the clock is your worst enemy, right? So you're never friends with your AD or your line producer or UPM, you know, because they're always looking at you with their, you know, their watch saying, hey, man, we got to move on. We got to move on. So I like to get as many takes as I can before I get it right. So I would say, uh, you know, time was challenging. And then just, you know, shooting this over, you know, a course of 10 years, you know, I had, I had the original four boys that went missing. I literally had them when they were 18 years old. And I, I shot with them for, it was kind of like uh, Richard Linklater's boyhood. Like I literally, you could see them. If There's only four seconds, but there's this, this one clip uh, that says freshman year. That is really when they were like 18 years old. And then, so, so it, you know, the challenge over the years, I'd say the biggest challenge is over the years, trying to keep the film feeling the same thematic kind of 
and interweaving all the layers of media, I think were the biggest challenge. I think the biggest challenges were really in post-production, right? That's where we spent the bulk of our time. So that's, that's kind of what I would say. Wow. So it was really, truly a labor of love. You must've been just like thrilled when you finally were able to finish this up. <laughs> yes, definitely. When we went to, when we, when we finished it, um, we finished somewhere around October of 2021 and we went to our first film festival horror fest up in St. George, Utah. And, uh, we got scariest film and I was like, okay, you know, audiences like this. And then we went to like four other festivals and one like best picture, best horror at four other festivals. I felt really good then knowing that, okay, people understood the picture because I was still worried that I had putting too many layers of media in here, you know, because for me, I was like, a, I'm a pretty diehard found footage fan. And like breaking that fourth wall is like a, a rule I don't want to break. And like, I don't break it in this, but it might feel like I break it in this, but I actually don't break it in this. So it was a lot of technical stuff that I wanted to make sure came across and that people, you know, this isn't a found footage film. It's a hybrid film. It's a horror film with a kind of Ghost Hunters mockumentary found footage film inside of it. So I, I wanted to just make sure that people, you know, could grasp that and that we're okay with that. And that and that made me feel the best because we shaped and molded it over years. And you, you don't know, sometimes you could turn left and it's the wrong left, right? You know, and so uh, if it feels really good to just have it come out, you know, for better, or for worse, yes, in general, just to have it come out is 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 the best thing, best feeling, yes. Now, uh, one familiar person I noticed in the cast is Troy James, who has starred in several horror movies uh, over the years, maybe most notably Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, amongst many others, though. So I just want to know, you know, for those who don't know, this man is able to sort of contort his bodies in just the craziest ways you'll ever see. So I just want to know, you know, how was it sort of working with him? But also, you know, can you talk a little bit about the rest of your cast as well and how it was with them? Yeah, so with Troy in particular, Scary Stories hadn't came out yet. I had only seen a clip of Canada's, Troy's from Canada, Troy's Canadian. So the clip I had seen was like Canada's version of America's Got Talent. And it wasn't the clip where he actually performed. Someone had showed me a behind the scenes clip of like in the back room of him, like scaring the producers of the show. Right. You know? And I saw that clip and I was like, Oh man, this, this guy, this guy's incredible. Like I didn't think it was real. You know what I mean? And so, uh, we, we, he hadn't really had anything else come out at that time. And so when we got him, it was a true, a true joy because he just, not only can he do those amazing things um, as far as contorting goes, but I mean, he's just an awesome, really, really nice person. And, and like, he'll give you as many takes as you want. He'll sit in the makeup chair as long as you want. And, you know, uh, the, the spectral motion, the team that did his prosthetics, they're incredible. They do all the Guillermo del Toro's movies and they spent so much time uh, with Troy and getting kind of the exact look that I wanted, which is very rare in independent filmmaking. You usually have to make a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, you know, compromises. And with this one, I didn't have to compromise with Troy or the prosthetics. Uh, as far as the rest of the cast goes, the four original boys, they were kind of the four kids that went missing back in 2010 when we cast them, that was more of like an American Idol uh, search you know we were doing like an open casting call we wanted complete unknowns and it was a lot of chemistry tests and uh, they were great because we just hung out all the time and always had a camera filming with those guys no matter where we went we have 
probably 10,000 hours worth of footage of just those kids hanging out as friends. And then the four newer cast members, the paranormal investigators, Dylan, Robert, Valentina, and Rebecca, they were all either friends or friends of friends, people that I knew I could trust to do the role because we didn't have a lot of time to audition or rehearse. And so I had to get some people that, you know, uh, had familiar faces, uh, good looking, and like also I could just trust. I didn't have to worry about like showing up on set and being like, oh man, you know, I really got to work with this actor or this actor. It was, it was, it was really nice. So, and Doug Excellent. Tate as well. Doug Tate as well. The oh, other yeah. actor plays the creature. Doug, I've known for a very long time. Doug actually shot his stuff very early on. And Doug, Doug is uh, incredible. Uh, if anybody doesn't know who Doug is, but Doug does a lot of the Michael Myers, Freddie stuff. He's stunt actor and and just a generally good actor in, in, in general and a great person. So yeah, Doug was awesome as well. He sure is funny you mentioned him. We actually just interviewed him last week for the for the show. So yeah, he's such <laughs> he's, a nice guy, right? Awesome guy. Yeah, he's actually coming up. I live in Salem. He's actually gonna be doing an event up here, a signing in a couple weeks. So we're excited to meet oh, him and see him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, I asked this question to every writer slash director that comes uh, on the show. So as a writer director, is there one I guess you lean towards more or prefer over the other, or do they sort of just kind of meld together? That's why I tell everybody, you know, I, I came out to LA in like 99, 2000, and I just had a couple scripts. And so I considered myself a writer. I didn't know what it would take to become a director. I had worked on some big movies as a production assistant, and I spent my entire teen years working at video stores. So I kind of, my film school was just all videos, like multiple years, multiple, multiple years of video stores and working on some sets. And so when I came out here, once I got to direct my first thing, I wanted to lean more on directing. But when I what I started to notice more is that, you know, the way this industry has shifted, it's kind of like you have to be able to do a lot of things. You're going to see, like, for instance, me on this, like, I'm a producer, I'm the editor, like, there's so many things that I had to do on this. And that's just a sign of the times. I think the era of the true writer director died in the late nineties with the, when the Tarantino's, the Spike Lee's, the Robert Rodriguez's, Steven Soderbergh's, when all those guys were born, Christopher Nolan's, that was the true writer director. I think now it's like, we're just trying to make movies any way we can. So I'll, I'll, I, I would lean as I like to tell stories and like, especially with this, this, this new one I just finished, like I'm very proud of the script because it's extremely original and very different and it's a slow burn. And, and, but directing it, you know, now cutting it, it's like, I feel like I'm definitely more of a director than a writer over the years. And like, as it goes on, like even in November, I'm directing a, a picture that I did not write. It'll be the first one I've ever done. And I, I think I'm looking forward, more forward to, 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 to things like that in the future. Excellent. So I, I think more could definitely be explored in this uh, Malibu Har story universe, especially with the backstory and lore that is, you know, revealed throughout the movie. So I got to ask, do you have any plans to make a sequel? Will there be another 10 year journey for Malibu Horror Story Part 2? I don't think for me personally, meaning like, I don't like, I would, I, I it's, it's, it's open-ended, you know, I don't think that's a spoiler, but it's, it's open-ended as most horror films are nowadays. So I don't think that's a spoiler, but yeah, I left it open-ended because, um, I, I mean, actually, it wasn't on purpose. That was just the way the way it, it happened. But I would 
if this thing was, if we do well in the theaters and this thing does like, you know, become like a, a, a an actual movie that a lot of people go see, I, I wouldn't mind for it to become a sequel, but I'd rather probably give a, a younger an up and coming filmmaker a shot at doing a sequel like that. Uh, I don't think I personally will do it. Uh, you know, I would chime in on the script, maybe be a producer on it, but I, I don't know if I could take on another uh, 10 years of uh, directing a movie like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's about it, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone, make sure go check out Malibu Horror Story. It hits theaters on October 20th. Definitely go and support independent horror. Before we let you go, Scott, is there anything else uh, you got coming up, coming up that you'd like to promote or where the uh, listeners can uh, find you? Um, just, you know, right now it's just, you know, go see Malibu Horror Story October 20th in theaters. You know, if it's not go to MalibuHorrorStoryTickets.com, punch in your zip code. If you don't see it, uh, you know, there's a request form. You can request it. We're kind of doing that paranormal thing where you can kind of demand it to come to your city. If enough people do it, it'll come to your city. And, uh, yeah. And MalibuHorrorStory.com and, you know, on Instagram at Malibu Horror Story Movie. Uh, and yeah, but yeah, just hopefully everybody goes and sees it. Cause that, that's, that's what it's all about with independent horror. Like, these theatrical runs happen for a reason because, you know, we're getting a look at like, hey, can can indie films, you know, hold ground at the theaters? You know what I mean? And it's been studio dominated, which is fine, but it, but it, but it, it would be great if people could support and come out and see in theaters. Absolutely. And everyone, please do once again, October 20th in theaters. Don't miss it. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Yes. <laughs>